Morning. I'm glad you're here. No boots today. I'm wearing sneakers today. Not too sneaky getting up here, but it's all right. Good to see you guys. Hey, can I have some more light on the people so I can see the whites of their eyes before I shoot at them? There we go. Awesome. All right, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Welcome. If you're a guest, welcome. If you're not a guest, welcome. I missed you last week. Glad to be back after being gone for a week. So uh, Chuck Weissong from Life Community Church was here last week. How did Chuck, Chuck do? It's all right? I like this about you. I like this about you. I like this about you. All right, good. That's cool. Uh, so just, I don't know how much this got explained last week, but um, that whole pastor swap deal that we did, that's about this idea that there's about 250 or 300 pastors in the Sacramento area that are just in a mind that says, you know what, Jesus gave us unity in his church, and sometimes we haven't acted like it. And how would it be if the churches of Jesus Christ around our region loved one another and had a unity together among them, and how are we going to get that if the pastors don't have that? So let's get together. And so that group's been meeting quarterly for lunch and for prayer uh, for the last few years, and some of us in the group started saying, hey, we got to take this another step, and let's just, let's exchange pastors for a weekend. I'm going to do it every weekend, but how about this weekend, last week, and let's, let's just share together. So that's what that was about. So Chuck was here. I was over at Life Community Church just saying we are going to demonstrate the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in Sacramento. So good, really good stuff. Yeah, it's cool, right? All right. So uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. Why don't we pray together? Then we're going to jump into Scripture, okay? Father in heaven, thanks for your goodness to us. I love you. We love you. We are grateful for the things you're doing in us and among us. We ask that you don't stop those things. Keep shaping us, Lord. Keep bringing out redemption in our lives. We know that through Christ we have redemption in total, but we know that you're still redeeming every corner of our lives, and we ask that that would continue today. Lord, thanks for giving us your scripture. Teach us through it, and... May we honor you by our time together and by how we live our lives uh, as we scatter out together this week. We seek you through Jesus. Amen. So, two weeks ago, I gave you my confessions of a perfectionist, or as I prefer to see myself these days, of an imperfectionist. I'm trying to be an imperfectionist, which is going against 55 years of training in my life. And uh, that message was a little hard to give, which is another reason why I was not here last week, because I needed a break from me. <laughs> so, um, and I, I gave you, if you weren't here that week, you go, I encourage you to go back online, get the podcast, you know, watch that because it kind of sets the tone for everything else we're talking about this week and next week. But uh, I talked about a lot of the poisons in my own life and the things that have been challenging regarding being a perfectionist and how that's landed not only on my life, but on the lives of other people around me and how significant that is uh, that we understand that and we let God lead us on what I call the narrow path of grace. You remember Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is toward the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and he uh, invites people into a path. He says, uh, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. 
And we get all wrapped up in some misunderstandings of that statement because we think, oh, the narrow way, that means I have to follow the straight and narrow. I got to follow the rules, be perfect, do the right thing. Only a few people get there, so I better be one of them. I better work hard to do it. And we miss the whole point of what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was about. And that, and that statement is a climax of that. He's like, you need to follow the narrow path of grace. God has this amazing grace that he wants to pour out on us, and we, and we sometimes miss it because we're so locked in to trying to not break the rules and not mess up and knock it off on the wrong track. Today, I want to take another step in that journey of understanding that and help you walk that through with me and, and let the Lord lead us in that journey. So I want to start with a passage of scripture that is familiar probably to everybody in the room, but when I read it, you're going to, you're going to scratch your head because it will be totally out of context for the season. It's found in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 8. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, you can. If you just want to listen, that's cool. We've also got the, the notes now are on you version on your phone or your tablet, so you can follow along with that and, and check out the scriptures on that too if you like, so a lot of options. Here's what Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, you recognize that, yes? Yeah, we, we read that every year, right around December 15th to 25th, right in there. We're like, we read that verse, we read that story, and we're like, oh yeah, I know that one. And then we forget it for the rest of the year. Here's the deal. Good, good news of great joy is intended to bless human beings all year long. It's not designed to be just a Christmas deal. It's not just designed to be when we have twinkly lights set up. It's supposed to bless us all year long, but we somehow lose track of that. Here's the highlights of that verse. Good news. The message that the angel gave the shepherds, he said, I have good news for you. So it's nice when someone labels the news like, hey, this is going to be good. Sometimes we can't figure out, is it good, is it bad? Sometimes it's clearly bad. This is good news. And it's so weird because so many times Christians run around in our lives and we act like what God gave us was not all that hot. Like it wasn't all that great of news. Because we're, we're so constrained by the things in our lives and we're so crippled by the things in our lives that trip us up. That it was like, well, was that good news? I can't remember. The angel announces it just like that. It's good news. We can live that way. Second highlight in the verse is great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. So here's a little Greek lesson. The word great comes from the, word, the Greek word mega. You ever heard the word mega? Yeah, what does mega mean? It means great. Okay, okay, it means huge and giant and big and all that stuff too. Yeah, it's all those things. Mega, I bring you great joy. Good news of great joy. That's the Greek word kara. It's the same word from which we get our word grace. If you're going to walk in the narrow path of grace, it's going to be a path that is paved with joy. Joy and grace are together. They go together. They're the same word. And if you live with joy, it's probably because you embrace God's grace. And if you embrace God's grace, it should result in living in joy. That's how those things go together. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people still. 2,000 years later, five months later, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people still. The path of grace is paved with joy. The problem is there are potholes in the pathway. And the pothole, uh uh-oh. I don't have my boots on and it's affecting how I speak. (laughs) The potholes are caused by fear. God paves out this path for us. He goes, it's a narrow path. I want you to walk in this. And it's paved with joy, but it's got these potholes that are caused by fear. When the angel shows up to the shepherds out on the hillside near Bethlehem that night, Luke says, when he describes it, he goes, they were terrified. And whenever I come to that during the Christmas season, I am like, oh, well, of course they were terrified. It was an angel, and angels are terrifying beings. They're not like those little cherubim things that we know you see on Christmas cards. They're big and powerful, and they're frightening. And so... Luke says that the shepherds were terrified, but I wonder if they were not just afraid of the angel, but I wonder how much fear just permeated their lives. Because I think if we were able to peel back the layers inside of our heart, we would find that we are led and maybe driven by a lot of fear. We have all kinds of fears. And I think often those fears are hidden fears. They're hidden to us. We're not even aware that we're afraid of certain things. But if you could peel back the layers, you would find out that you are being driven by fear. The shepherds on that hillside were terrified. And then, of course, the angel speaks up to them. And he did what all angels do when they show up. His first statement to them was, don't be afraid because angels are terrifying. Don't be afraid, but that could be a great statement for your life. That could be almost a theme statement for your life. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear because fear tends to be our default mode. We fear failure. We fear fear the dark. We fear the unknown. We fear being swatted by God because we broke the rules. Don't be afraid. The fears in our lives become potholes in the pathway of grace. Brene Brown, who's going to speak at this year's Leadership Summit, which, by the way, if you haven't signed up for the Leadership Summit yet, make sure you get out in the lobby and do this afterwards today. Brene Brown's going to speak. She wrote a book a couple years ago called uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. It's been uh, heart-changing for me as I've walked through some of the things she's talked about. But one statement she made was, the opposite of joy may not be sadness, but fear. Roll that around in your head for a minute. The opposite of joy may not be sadness, but fear. And fear will suck the joy out of our lives. When Jesus was announced to this planet, when the angels came and they announced the coming of the Messiah into this planet, the angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And that statement is still true today question is how do we get there how do we live that out because it doesn't seem natural it's not it's not the natural default mode for most of us as followers of christ it it could be and maybe it should be but it's not the default way that we live our lives it's because we haven't learned what that pathway of grace looks like yet so let's look at some scripture and see if we can figure out how to get on this pathway matthew chapter 12 uh starting at verse 1 i want to read that for you and uh if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we've got this there. Did I say that to you already? So grab a Bible, follow along, and uh, let's see what Matthew has to say about Jesus' life. Matthew 12. Let me read two stories from Jesus' life that are back-to-back, and they're related, and then we'll talk about them. 
At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, any of you, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Well, let's welcome the Pharisees back into our gathering today. The Pharisees were perfectionists. The Pharisees were legalists. The Pharisees were rule keepers. And they not only wanted to keep God's rules, but they added to his rules to make sure that they didn't break some of the, some of the other rules that God had given to them. And not only did they add rules for themselves to follow, but they added rules for other people to follow. And then they watched them to make sure they complied. And here's Jesus and his disciples, and they're walking out through a grain field, and they start picking off the heads of grain and popping them in their mouth like popcorn. Or M&M's. They're walking along and they're eating bits of grain, you know, and they're having a conversation. And it's like the Pharisees were somewhere back in the wheat, in the wheat. Like, you know, I don't know if they're head up below the headline or something. It's like, and they're stalking Jesus. And they're watching the disciples and they see him picking the heads of grain. Like, that's not allowed on the Sabbath. You can't, that's work. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. So it must be work to rub grain and then eat it. So that's work. And so they pop out of the wheat and they go, Jesus, they're not doing it right. Like the Sabbath police. And you know they're perfectionists because that's their phrase, that you're not doing it right. And so they accuse the disciples of Jesus and they accuse Jesus and they condemn them in the process because they were breaking the rules. What they missed was that God made the Sabbath to bless human beings the only reason god gave us a sabbath was to bless human beings to give you a moment to give you one day out of seven where you could say i'm gonna relax today to give you one day out of seven where you could say i don't have to try and be god today to give you one day out of seven where you can go i'm gonna stop trying to make the world spin one day out of seven who needed a rest when god made sabbath i mean did god get done with the creation in six days and then go I'm tired. I need a hammock. <laughs> who, who needs a hammock? We do. Yeah, yeah. You're all like, what? I want that one. I know. God didn't need it. He gave us a Sabbath for us. But the Pharisees thought it was all about keeping the rules. So they missed the rest that God designed. They missed the joy that God designed for them. They missed the message. The Pharisees thought 
that God's number one personality trait, God's number one characteristic, the number one attribute of God was a desire to keep people in line. And so since the Pharisees wanted to be godly people, they said, well, we're going to keep in line. And because that's what God does, we're going to try and keep other people in line because we're trying to be like God is. Because of their fear of getting outside the lines, they expanded the rules to make sure they wouldn't get close to the borders. They wouldn't get close to the edges. So they had rules back in the day of Jesus. They had rules on the Sabbath like you can only go so many steps on the Sabbath day. You can only take so many steps. Some of you guys have like a, like a pedometer or one of those wrist, you know, those cool Dick Tracy things, you know, or I don't know, that tell you how many steps you take in a day. Well, your, your, your device, whatever it is, would start beeping when you got to so many steps. Although that, that would break the rules too because you can't cause beepage on the Sabbath. <laughs> Not making that up. So, so you, you can't take so many steps. That would be breaking the Sabbath. Or they had a rule that you couldn't spit on the Sabbath day. Because if you spit, it might land in the dirt. If it landed in the dirt and the spit would mix with the dirt, it would make mud and that would be creating work. So you can't do that. And you know, you, it's, it's so easy to look at those things and mock that and go, oh, that's ridiculous. Except I wonder where the ridiculous things are that we practice because we're trying not to get outside the lines and we're trying not to offend God in some way. And it's really interesting because the Jewish culture has continued to make those rules all the way up into our generation. There are, still, there are still rules for modern technology so that we can use the technology without breaking the Sabbath. So, for example, if you go to Israel today and you go into a hotel, you will find that hotel elevators have a key slot. And when you stick the key in there, it turns the elevator to Sabbath mode. When an elevator goes to Sabbath mode... You no longer get to walk into the elevator and push buttons to go to the, one, to the floor you want to go to. Let's say you're staying on the 15th floor. You just get in and the elevator stops automatically at every floor. So you don't have to push a button because if you push a button, the light shows up on that number of that floor and making light is making work. And that breaks the Sabbath. So if you're on the 73rd floor, don't take the stairs because that's work also. You're just going to have to take your time. Don't be in a hurry. You have, you have Sabbath mode in your house. If you have a modern range, a modern stove and oven, you probably have Sabbath mode on your range. You might not even have known it, but if you click through the buttons or if you go through the owner's manual, you'll find Sabbath mode. It's so that the Jews can take on Friday, they can set the stove and get the temperature set and, and get a schedule, the timer for the oven to come on the next day on Saturday. But when the oven comes on, the lights on the panel in the back won't light up. So you can actually cook your food without doing work. That's how that rolls. There's a way now, if you go into the Temple Mount, there's only one spot of the ancient temple still there. It's now called the Wailing Wall. And people go in there to pray from all over the world. And Jews come there from around uh, Jerusalem to pray. But to get into the Wailing Wall, you have to go through a metal detector because of terrorism. And so... Every day, everybody who goes into the Temple Mount has to pass through metal detectors. They've rigged a metal detector. This, this uh, number four here describes this, but they've rigged a metal detector so that if you're packing heat, the lights don't go off. I don't know how they know, but you can walk through that metal detector. They still find out if you've got metal on you anywhere, but you don't cause the machine to do work. And again, you can ridicule that and go, well, that's just, that's extreme, or that's odd, or that's just, that's silly. 
Okay, but how many times do those of us who are perfectionists and those who are tripped up by something in our lives, how, how often do we create little rules to get around our little problems and still live our lives? Created in the Pharisees, I think, a sense of bitterness. They're trying to please God, but it wasn't fun. They're trying to please God, but there was no joy in it. And if they weren't going to have joy, they weren't going to let anybody else have joy either. Because they're trying to mimic God's character trait of keeping everybody in line. So Jesus countered their bitterness with Scripture. He said, hey, have you guys not read the Scripture? Now, they were teachers of the Scripture. They had read this. He said, have you guys not read the Scripture where David was out with his companions and they didn't have anything to eat? And they stopped by the tabernacle and there was bread, but the bread had been offered to God and only the priest could eat it. David wasn't a priest, but he went in with his soldiers and the priest offered them the bread, and they ate it. They didn't get swatted. He said, haven't you read the scriptures when the priests go into the temple and they offer the sacrifices <clears throat> week after week? And every time they're there on the Sabbath day, they desecrate the Sabbath because they do all kinds of work on the Sabbath. They don't get swatted. God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. God loved his heart. The story is, learn to walk in the life-giving pathway of grace. I love the fact that in our playbook as a church, we say, we celebrate life-giving grace. It's one thing to celebrate it, it's another thing to walk in it. What does it look like to walk in the path of life-giving grace? I brought my, my favorite piece of furniture today. I'm moving, so I, I told you I'm, I'm moving right now, so I, I had a chance to get my hammock moved. I thought, I'm just going to stop by the church with it first, because some of you need to know what this feels like. Oh, yeah. Oh. And some of you think this is really rude, don't you? Go ahead, judge me. I'm just kidding about that part. Hey, so... So what does it look like to walk on the life-giving, the, the life-giving, grace-filled path that God lays out for us? What does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like you take enough time to stop and say, God, I'm going to let you be God, and I'm not going to be God today. Now, none of you probably, you know, look at your life and you go, today, I think I'm going to be God. Because you wouldn't be that bold. But by the choices you make, do you tell yourself and others, I'm trying to be God today. I'm trying to make the world spin today. Do you trust God enough to rest? Do you trust God enough to play? To take a day or take a moment and just to play. To put sneakers on and just play. The Pharisees asked Jesus a question. They said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were all mad and angry at him because they knew what he wanted to do. And what did Jesus say after he healed that man with the withered hand? He said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
And the implication is it is lawful to celebrate on the Sabbath. And it is lawful to carry a smile on the Sabbath. Okay, I better get up. (laughs) Yeah. Why is it on the one day out of seven that they said, we have to be holy, holy, holy? Why was that day the day that they looked grumpiest? Does that make any sense at all? No, it's because they hadn't yet grasped the life-giving nature of grace. They haven't entered by the narrow path of grace, which is paved with joy. See, this angel showed up and he said, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people, even now. That's what he wants us to get. Look over at uh, Luke chapter 13. Let me read another story for you. Luke 13, verse 10, uh, Luke writes this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, He didn't say this to Jesus because by this time he knew Jesus wasn't going to pay attention anyway. So he says to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Shouldn't you be set free on the Sabbath day from what binds you? Shouldn't you be set free on the day of all the days of the week, the one day that God said, hey, this one's devoted to me. This is a day for you to rest and to play and to have joy. Shouldn't you be set free from the things that bind you on that day? key phrase, the key statement in that story is the word set free. It's the Greek word that means release. Jesus said to this woman, I release you. You are free. And immediately she stands up straight. And I'm like, how amazing would that be? She'd been crippled. She'd been bent over. She'd been locked down. And Jesus said, I set you free. Every one of us is crippled by something. Every one of us. For me, as I've told you, it's been, the thing that's crippled me has been pride and perfectionism and legalism and judgmentalism and shame and fear. And I've heard from a lot of you, and I know a lot of you walk the same path that I walk. And some of you are like, I I don't get it. It's because something else cripples you. Something else breaks your stride in Christ. Something else keeps you from walking on that grace-filled path of joy. 
Maybe it's alcohol that cripples you. Maybe it's drug abuse that cripples you. Maybe it's racism that cripples you. Maybe it's sexism that cripples you. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's fear. I don't don't know what it is for everybody. It might be different for different ones of us. But it cripples us. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. How do you get that? How do you get that kind of freedom? How do you get that kind of release? Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. It's interesting how often Jesus used children to make his point to his disciples. He goes, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a child. If you want to come to God, come as a child. Unless you become like little children, you cannot come to me. He's always talking about children. Now Paul's talking about children as well. He says, anyone who is led by God's spirit, that means you've received Jesus, you trust Jesus, you follow Jesus, and he's given you his spirit. Now you're being led by his spirit. He says, you are children of God. You've been adopted. You no longer live as a slave to fear. You're a son. You're a daughter. You cry out by the Spirit of God. You cry out to God, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. You're a child crying out to daddy. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to live in fear. And Jesus says, you don't have to. Children have an amazing capacity not to fear how they will be perceived. I envy them. Because I fear how, I fear people. I fear like, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to me? What are you going to say about me? What are you going to think about me? Even if you don't say anything, what are you thinking about me? Chances are you're not thinking about me at all. You're thinking about yourself. (laughs) But I'm so afraid of what you're thinking about me. And children don't, they don't live with that fear. They They just seem completely unafraid of how people will perceive them. And so Jesus says, become like a child. I want to learn that. I want to learn what it is like to live like a child. And enjoy the path that God has set out for me, this path of grace. I want to learn that. I have all these fears that come with my own baggage in my life. I'm afraid of playing too much, not getting my job done. I'm afraid of 
dancing because I stink at it. And I'm afraid of looking silly. I'm afraid to wear sneakers to church. Because <laughs> I'm trying to learn this deal, right? So I'm, I'm trying, how, how do you practice? How do you cultivate joy? This angel showed up and he said to some shepherds on a hillside outside of Bethlehem, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All right, it's because, Jesus, it's because God sent Jesus, his son, our Messiah, into this world. That's the good news of great joy. Now, how do I cultivate joy in Christ? How do I live my life with joy in Christ? Well, walk in the path of grace. Or skip in the path of grace. Do you skip? Who skips? Who's afraid to say so? What if, what if you just practice skipping? Skipping is an amazing invention. Right? Hop, step, hop, step, hop, step. It's an amazing invention, and I defy you to do it without smiling. I challenge you today, if you're, if you're physically capable to skip, here's a, here, tomorrow, skip to the mailbox. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, no way, man, no way. Do you know what the neighbors will say? We talk all the time about your oikos, right? Those 8 to 15 people that God has placed in your life sovereignly and strategically because he wants you to love them and serve them and care for them. If you skip to your mailbox, they will talk. <laughs> they may talk to you. They're like, what's up? What happened to you? Why are you skipping? Because this angel showed up when Jesus was coming. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. And I just thought I'd respond today on the way to the mailbox. <laughs> and if they don't start a conversation with you, they will start a conversation about you. fantastic they're talking about you and the fact that you skip in this world okay you don't like skipping all right ride the shopping cart i'm a, I'm a shopping cart rider I, <clears throat> so i'm i bought this house over in uh, old Folsom, and it was a much more of a fixer-upper than i thought it was And uh, so I've been going to Lowe's a lot lately. I am the sole owner of Lowe's now. <laughs> but Lowe's has fantastic shopping carts, like good wheels, smooth ride, and a downhill slope to the car. I go in Lowe's every day, sometimes twice. And I buy my stuff, and I go say hi to all my buddies now who are there. You know, how's your department? How are things going? How can I help? You know, and then I get my checkout. I could do my checkout, and then I and then I got my stuff in the cart, and I head for my car. On the cart. <laughs> Why? Because an angel showed up two thousand years ago and said, "I bring you good news of great joy, and it's not just for Christmas." Do you dance? Who dances? God bless you. I don't dance. I decided a long time ago I don't dance because I can't do it perfectly. And then I learned a word. I've shared this word with you before. Some of you know this word. I, I learned this word 
called Valter, and it has changed my dancing life. Valter means, it's an, old, it's an old English word that means to dance without skill or grace, but to have some enjoyment in it. <laughs> and the only reason that just worked right there was because there was no music behind it. And you know why I can do that? Because 2,000 years ago, an angel showed up and said, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people all the time. If you walk in the path of grace with Jesus, I want that for you. I want that for me. That doesn't mean sorrow is not going to come into our life. That doesn't mean pain won't come into our life. But that narrow path of grace is a path worth walking on. I've been learning a lot of this from a guy named Bob Goff, who spoke at the Leadership Summit. If you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to the summit. Bob's not coming this year, but he changed my life the year he spoke about this. Watch this. You know how to do this stuff. Live into the life worthy of the calling you've received. And the problem is, we get afraid. It's what Bill was talking about at the beginning. And like, that's why scripture just throughout it, not only in Joshua that we were talking about this morning, but Jeremiah, they said, you're the guy. And he says, I'm not the guy. And he said, be not afraid. And Abram before a big battle, he said, I have your shield and your great reward. Be not afraid. And Jesus to three dudes in a rowboat. He said, it is I, be not afraid. If we weren't afraid in leadership, we could leave, we could live into the life worthy of the calling, the high calling of leadership that most of you have received. But we fake it. Have you guys been to Madame Tussauds, that wax museum? They have a bunch of wax people, Abraham Lincoln, all kinds of people. And we were in D.C. and I had this senator coat with my whiskers and all that. I actually kind of looked like a senator. So I said to the kids, do you want to go to the wax museum? And because they're my kids, they're like, yeah! So we went down below and I said, you guys watch this, and I struck up a pose between the third and fourth wax guy. And like, <laughs> and the kids are like, Dad, would you at your age? And I'm like, I am. So <laughs> what I wasn't counting on is these two little old ladies, they come walking around the corner, they were older than dirt, and they, they walked up to me, they pulled my whisker. <laughs> they said he looks so real. But, I had to hold the pose, right? Because I knew I'm a lawyer. If they, I moved, they'd have a stroke and own my house. <laughs> and you know, you know what I realized about myself? I'm a poser. I'm a pretty good, that's why I'm a pretty good lawyer. But some of you are posing too. You're posing and I wish I could do this Jedi thing and say you just don't have to anymore. Like we're just, just don't be afraid. Just be you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And an angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, even you. Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for releasing us from those things that cripple us and lock us down. My desire for my friends and for me is that we would live in that narrow path of grace, that we would walk and skip and jump in that narrow path of grace. 
Lord, thank you. We love you. We honor you together, Lord Jesus. Amen.